Welcome to Modern Career. I'm your host, Mary Humiston. Throughout your whole career journey, you'll be thinking about growing your skills, advancing, changing, and even reinventing yourself. We want to help you do that, and we want to help you live your full potential. In every episode, we cover work and career topics that leverage my global HR leadership, and through interviews and discussions with other career experts and leaders from all over the world. Subscribe and visit us at modern-career.com and see our blog posts, career stories. We also offer coaching and workshops and more. Let's jump into our next episode. Welcome to the next episode in our Chief People Officer Perspective Series. Today, our guest is Mark Green. Mark is a senior human resources executive based in San Francisco with over 30 years of global experience in technology. He is currently the Chief People Officer at Nextiva, a high-growth private SaaS company providing communications and customer management solutions. He previously held Chief HR Officer roles at Kodak and UTC. Starcom, where he was part of the leadership team that drove transformation and turnaround. He's also been an HR leader at Applied Materials, VeriSign, and Nortel Networks, and has been based in the U.S., the U.K., Hong Kong, and Singapore. Mark holds a master's degree in human resources and industrial relations from the London School of Economics and a Bachelor of Engineering with honors in electrical and electronic engineering from Leeds University in the UK. Welcome, Mark, and thank you so much for joining and for sharing an insider perspective. Thanks, Mary. Good to be here. Well, I'm going to jump in with a big one. You clearly had such a phenomenal career to date. How did your career evolve? And maybe you could take us through just a few of the highlights and just to load it up a bit. Did you have a plan, a career plan per se, or was it more organic, especially where you see your master's in HR following a bachelor's in engineering? Yeah, great question. Definitely, I would say more on the organic side. So I've always been, you know, an ambitious person who wanted to do better, but it was always sort of competing against myself. And so my measure of success was progressing in whatever way that made sense. And so I say organic because I'm sort of a big believer that you do good work, you push on various doors that open up, that face you, and one of those doors will open and you choose to step through that door versus another door and it leads to a whole new path. So that's not to say I I haven't had sort of ambitions in the long term, it's just that I didn't really have the path for me to be mapped out. It's been, you know, a series of, of different experiences that led, led to different things. So, you know, when I think back to what got me here, just to recap high level on my career, I did electronic engineering. And that was mainly because, you know, back then, like many young people, we don't really know what we want to do. And I was good at math. I was good at sciences. It was just a natural thing to do an engineering degree. I did the degree. And the thing I was sure about was I didn't want to be an engineer. By the time you know I graduated, it became clear that I didn't really want to be a professional engineer, but I didn't know what I wanted. And so I remember, you know, it was a stressful time because obviously you graduate and expectations are high that you're going to start your getting on the ladder. And I didn't know what that meant for me. So I remember I applied to all sorts of things. I 
applied to the BBC to become a TV researcher. I applied to PwC or whatever they were called back then to join their accounting program. You know, I applied to actually Kodak to join their graduate trainee program. And as I'll share, I went on to be head of HR at Kodak a number of years ago. But of course, I didn't really have any focus or direction at the time. And, you know, I, I hit a brick wall with every application. And so I decided to take a step back. I wanted to take a year off and travel. I earned money by working on construction sites to save enough to fund my trip. And I ended up spending a year backpacking predominantly around Asia. And it was, you know, one of the best, most formative experiences in my life. And, you know, you just learn to be independent. I have a, a sense of adventure. So it satisfied that. You meet all sorts of great people and you learn to think for yourself. So as a young adult, you know, I went through the system and it's a, a fairly clear path. And this was sort of the first time I was really standing on my own two feet, thinking for myself without a real plan. I just went where I decided to go and it was a, a great experience. But then, of course, you come home and nothing's really changed in terms of the career. And so then I decided, OK, it's time to get serious and let me think through what interests me. And I always knew I wanted to get into some aspect of business. And I'd never worked in a corporation before. And so I did my research and, you know, in the different professions within a business. And I came across this thing called human resources or then personnel management. And it was intriguing to me because it was all about, you know, how organizations behave and how you can think of an organization as a system with different inputs and outputs, much like an electronic circuit in some ways, except you've got humans involved, which adds complexity and unpredictability. And so it just sounded fascinating. I'm a problem solver by nature and just sort of this conundrum of how to make an organization most effective was really academically interesting to me. And that seemed like a, a great function to focus on in terms of business. So that led to me researching various different programs. I went back to school, did a master's in HR at the LSE, and that led to my internship with Nortel Networks, which they then asked me to apply to their graduate HR trainee program, which involved, you know, four different rotations in different aspects of HR. And that really started my career in HR. Wow. I just want to probe on something too, because you raised something here. It's so important that recognition you had or that understanding that you didn't want to do something or pursue something, even though you'd invested. I mean, you had honors and I can imagine there was a lot of pressure socially and otherwise to stay the course and what a great job you could have had then. But you took that time to explore, which is great that you did it early in life. Some people don't do it at all, but that's a really important part of navigating a career. Absolutely. And I think back then pressures were less than they are now. Mm, and so in some sure. ways, yeah. you know, expectations from my parents, they just wanted to support me in whatever I chose as long as I was on a good path. And so I think the pressures are higher now. And so I certainly would encourage people entering their careers to take the time to explore and experience different things early, like you say, because it can then set you on a good path. So you had this phenomenal, which I'm a massive fan of, can't always happen, but a foundational, because you joined a program, a rotational leadership program in HR. Was that it? Mm -hmm. That's correct. Yeah. It set you up. So from there, where did things go? 
Yeah, so I spent my first 14 years at Nortel Networks, which, you know, was a great learning ground for me. At the time, it was, you know, regarded as one of the, the best tech companies competing with Cisco and, you know, other high growth tech companies. And it was a very forward thinking, innovative company. So many of the, you know, the practices we see today in the field of HR were experimented with back, you know, then 25 years ago. And so it was a great place to learn. And I was very fortunate that in my time there, I had many different roles. One of them took me to North Carolina from the UK. I then moved to Hong Kong and, you know, ultimately transferred to the Silicon Valley with Nortel. At the time, Nortel was acquiring a lot of companies, and so there was a lot of integration work with these other tech companies that Nortel expanded through. So then from Nortel, I actually was offered my first sort of big HR challenge. I was offered a role as Chief Human Resource Officer at UT Starcom, which was you know, a good-sized company, 8,000 people, $3 billion in revenue. And I'd never done anything like that before, and so I kind of jumped at that opportunity and spent five interesting years there. From there, I moved to applied materials. You know, frankly, it was time for a bit of a, I wouldn't say a break, but the pressures were very high at UT Starcom because we were dealing with tremendous transformation and change and various corporate crises that we had to navigate through. And so it was a a role that really was quite taxing. And so I sort of made a conscious decision that I didn't want to be in that number one role in that next move at that point in time. I always knew that I'd get back to the HR leadership role at a company, but I needed a different role. And I'm a big believer that it's good to get different experiences. So specialize in certain functions. And if you're going to a bigger company, maybe you take a not the top role at a bigger company in preparation for expanding from there. So I had four great years at Applied Materials, which also took me to Singapore and back. From there, I was offered the head of HR at Kodak. Kodak had just appointed a new CEO post-bankruptcy. And so it was really a turnaround job and had five amazing years working through the Kodak turnaround. And then from there, really essentially moved into my current role, which is the antithesis of Kodak. So as you can imagine, Kodak was a, a big machine, you know, moved relatively slowly, had to radically restructure And, you know, I would say the average length of service at Kodak when I was there was probably something like 25 years to essentially a smaller, high growth startup, much more agile, fast moving growth. And so I jumped at the opportunity to experience a pre-IPO private high growth SaaS company and take my lessons and play in a completely different environment. You know, I love this other point about taking a, whatever you want to call it, a a sidestep, a horizontal move. Uh, It's not always just go, go, go. And you recognized you needed a bit of different growth or recovery. And that is so important to the journey too. Mark, what's a perspective that you might have, you know, given all of the richness of the context we're in today, that someone could best navigate their career? What's a perspective you have? One point is it's great to stop and reflect on experiences that one has. And typically it's go, 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 and you're just delivering in your job and you don't have time to pause and think about what makes you successful and what you can learn. And I've often found that interviewing for my next role is a great time just to stop and think about what you've achieved and how you achieved it and articulate that in a way that kind of makes sense as a you know framework. 
And, you know, I did that for this call as well. So as part of that, it struck me that there's certain things that endure the test of time, regardless of the times. And there were four C's, if you will, that kind of struck me as being really important. So competence, character, culture, and courage. And so when I think about competence and I think back to my 30 years through various ups and downs and different business cycles, you know, obviously you have to be really good at what you do professionally and stay ahead of the curve and keep your network strong and learn from those around you and, you know, read what the latest is in your respective profession and just stay ahead of the curve and informed and relevant and that sort of competence. Then there's also character, and that's being someone who acts always with high integrity. That's a lesson I learned earlier in my career, how integrity is just so important. How we're all human beings, and you know, we need to treat each other as human beings and be honest and straightforward and grateful of other con- others' contributions and humble in your leadership style. That's always been you know something I've strived to do and it's that combination of competence and character that get results right so it's you can't have one without the other it's got to be in combination and then I think culture and I would sort of lump politics in with culture that's really sort of the external environment that you're within and you can maybe influence it but you can't as an individual necessarily change it and there are cultures that I found in my various different roles where I've felt really great and energized and thrived. And those have tended to be organizations where things are fast moving and a bit chaotic and no day looks the same and there's tremendous variety and you have to deal with that pace and that turmoil while having a strategic outlook that you're always building towards and driving to versus other cultures and companies where, you know, it's been a bit more corporate and, you know, quite often it's the form over the function. So it's how things are positioned and the way you influence to slowly get results. And to me, that personally is, you know, more stifling and I just don't feel as engaged in that kind of environment. And so I think it's important, you know, while there's always going to be challenging environments, you reflect on whether you truly feel it's the right fit for you and your personal values and you can live with it for a while because you know you can learn in those environments but then you have to make a conscious choice to change something right because it just gets wearing if you're just in the wrong environment and I would say the same is true for politics I've been in situations where the strategy is in one direction and then things change maybe you get a new ceo maybe you get a different board composition and suddenly the landscape has shifted and so what you were brought in to do and focused on suddenly has changed and it's important in those situations also to make a conscious choice so either you stay on board and you recommit and try and adapt or if it's not for you then you know think longer term how to transition out of that situation The fourth one is courage, and that's all about pushing yourself, but not to beyond your limits. So having the courage to step out of your comfort zone, but not take on too much. And it's a a tricky balance. So that's taking the tough assignments. It's having difficult conversations. So if something 
is bothering you, if you see something that's not working in an organisation, just having the courage to step up and have that conversation and always doing so with integrity, right, so that you can do what's important to you and make sure you you sort of have those conversations and always, you know, in the end, as difficult as they are, generally those that you're having the conversation with are thankful and it leads to some positive change and sometimes it doesn't and it's another juncture where, you know, you need to decide whether you're in the right environment. I love those, Mark. I wonder if it's possible, are you able to bring to life, if you can think of a story where you actually saw what contributed to someone's career success, maybe from the four C's, and what have you seen that potentially gets in the way? Yeah, I mean, I think of this with my own story in the sort of the positive example. So I think it's important to realize careers aren't linear. And, you know, sometimes, like we said before, you have to take a sidestep or, you know, be on a different trajectory or even maybe take a step back. And I think about when I was at Nortel Networks, you know, we were this fast growth admired tech company and then the dot-com boom Mm -hmm. uh, busted Mm -hmm. around year 2000. And as a result, you know, Nortel's revenues just sank drastically like many other companies. And we started a, a very fast radical round of restructuring and layoffs. And as part of that analysis, the company decided we were too top heavy. And I had just, you know, after I can't remember how many years it was, but a number of years, earned my promotion to a director. And that was a big deal. Oh, yeah. And I felt really good that I was finally recognized. Part of the reason I, you know, decided to leave the UK was because the US is a, a much stronger meritocracy and results are recognized and you can progress in your career, in my opinion, in a different way to the UK. So I earned this promotion and then this restructuring occurred and, you know, it was a numbers game. We can't have as many directors and vice presidents and senior vice presidents and it was metrics driven and we laid off many executives. We downgraded other executives and I was one of the people that was downgraded and Uh, it really hurt. (laughs) But this is another example of careers aren't linear and There are bigger forces at play and you can either choose to recommit and embrace the change and not get kind of blown off track and continue to do good work and then it will all work out. And that's actually, you know, what happened to me at Nortel. So I chose to stay there because I really enjoyed working at the company and, you know, it wasn't ideal. It didn't feel great. You know, and at the same time, I always looked for those next opportunities. And sure enough, I don't know, two years later, there was an opportunity at the director level and, you know, I got that job. So so I think, you know, a key lesson there is there's twists and turns, there are setbacks, but you have to look at the, the long game, you know, and where I've seen people fail is being too ambitious and not forgiving enough of the system around them and you know forcing the issue and sometimes being over promoted and taking on too much without the the experience to back that up and that just leads to you know stress and lack of performance and you know i've seen that many times right where an ambitious person who's smart pushes to get that next level or the bigger job and then you know it can last for a few months but then very quickly it starts to show so that's i would say you know something to avoid those experiences, as much as they can really, you know, 
let's face it, they suck at the time. But I'm guessing that made you also a better leader, maybe better HR because of personally going through it and knowing that the how matters a lot. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. So Mark, what might be a bit of, I'd call it insider knowledge, maybe HR insider knowledge, something that you think most people may not know about, but it's really important to reaching your goals and your aspirations. I think it ties to the point you just made, Mary, around how you behave and who you are is just as important as what you deliver and the results you get. And you can't have one without the other because at the end of the day, you know, people don't like working with jerks. They want to work with collegial colleagues who are respectful. And so to me, it's about developing your leadership and your, your character and staying true to that and driving results. And, you know, you need to demonstrate a, a strong track record of being results driven, but you also want to do it in a way where other people follow you, you bring them along and, you know, people feel great about being part of that team. So to me, that's sort of, you know, a big piece of advice I would give, just pay attention to both. Well, this may be the same same answer, but I'd love to know, you've clearly worked with so many leaders and across the whole globe. What might be an essential characteristic or a practice of a great leader that helps them have both the impact and success? It's all about trying to understand where others are coming from. So being empathetic to that situation and taking the time, I think, to build a relationship get to know your colleagues as people, having that empathy to their unique situations and making the time to coach and guide and help move, you know, the objective forward that you're working on as a team. That's kind of what it boils down to for me. It sure does. How about on the personal side, you've been sharing so much, what might be an important reflection or a question you've had to ask yourself so far on your journey? I would say it comes back to this stretch, but don't overstretch example. I remember when I took that first CHRO job at UT Starcom, I didn't know what I was doing. And, you know, I had lots of broad HR experience, but I'd never worked with a compensation committee. I'd never worked directly into a CEO. I, you know, didn't really have that kind of strategic lens as it relates to the business as a whole running, you know, as a public company. And it was really tough. I mean, I was on such a a steep learning curve and it consumed me, you know, to be successful, I had to give 120% of myself to this job. And I had to, otherwise I wouldn't have been successful. And at the same time, it started to take its toll on the important relationships outside of my work life. And so, you know, there were times where we would have a family dinner and I'd ask a question. And as soon as one of my kids or my wife answered the question, I wouldn't be listening. You know, I'd be thinking about what was going on at work and it was so obvious. And I can't say I regret that time. I learned from that time. I don't know that I could have been successful in any other way, but it was an example of where I probably pushed myself too much and I didn't pay attention to the other important relationships in my life in the way I should have at that time. 
And it's a lot easier now because with experience and maturity, you build self-confidence and you know what's important, right? So it's a very different, but it was a real wake-up call for me that you need to balance your work life and the other relationships in your life. And tied to that actually is you need to focus on your health. And so take the time out to recharge and rejuvenate in whatever way makes sense for you, especially in stressful times. Those are two things that I've tried to carry forward since those times. I love this because this is this is something that I think every professional grapples with and balance is hard. And to your point, there's so many parts to that. As you say, there's your yourself, your your family, your friends, your spiritual life, your, you know, on and on and on, whatever is important to you, hobbies, and you know when you can't do, or if you're only invested in one area, right? Mm-hmm. But to your point, it sounds also like self-awareness was key to know that you were stretching beyond that point where it was too much, not because stretch is good, but you were saying it was too much and therefore it hunkered you down into one area, one yeah, focus. with hindsight, it's easy with hindsight to say yes. it's too much than it was. <laughs> right. <laughs> At the time, it didn't feel like too much. This was a great promotion for me, and I was going to make it work. <laughs> but it was too much. And, you know, it, in one sense, propelled my career, right? Mm-hmm. So having that break mm-hmm. allowed me to do similar roles at other companies. And so I don't regret it, and I've learned from it not to repeat those same, you know, mistakes going forward. Awesome. So Mark, you've lived and worked in a lot of different places. And this may not be the full list, but clearly many parts of the US, the UK, Hong Kong, Singapore, and you've also traveled globally quite extensively. What's something you might share with us about, it's either an insight, a learning on successfully living and working, let's say, in another culture or with another culture? Yeah. So I think the biggest barrier to being successful when you work cross-culturally in different countries is the communication. And so it's obviously important to understand the ways things are done in that respective country, etiquette, communication styles, just so that you understand that going in. But I think the bigger thing isn't to do with cultural differences. You need to understand that because the way I've always approached it is people are people at the end of the day. You know, people tend to have similar aspirations in life. There are, of course, differences. But in general, I don't think there's any replacement to good leadership. And I think that transcends globally. And so to me, there's no magic silver bullet in working in Japan versus China versus the UK, et cetera. It's about good leadership and taking the time to, A, get to know the people that you're working with on a personal and professional level, understanding where they're coming from by asking lots and lots of questions before coming to a direction or conclusion or decision. Sometimes educating back, right? Because I've seen in some situations, you know, there's local country agendas, that maybe conflict with the global strategy and how do you understand those local agendas in the context of that culture and how do you educate the people you're working with from those respective different countries to see a different side of things and to me it's almost being a you know a diplomat and 
brokering the two parts of the conversation so that everyone can come together, understand, you know, why we're going in a certain direction and certain decisions need to be made, you know, in doing that in a collaborative way where everyone can move forward, you know, with a common understanding. And to me, that's just good leadership. It's not anything in particular uh, to do with working globally. Totally agree. I love that. And you know what? I have this memory, Mark, (laughs) from working with you. I remember, and I'm not sure if you would exactly call it a hobby, but you used to swim with the sharks or swim with sharks. (laughs) Is that right? And can you tell us about that? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I had every opportunity. So I'm a scuba diver. That is a hobby of mine. I love scuba diving. And over the years, being an adventure seeker, you start to see what kind of scuba diving experiences you like. And many years ago, I saw my first shark in the Red Sea and was just completely captivated by the beauty of diving with sharks. And since then, I've traveled the world to shark (laughs) hotspots to scuba dive with sharks. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely, for fun. (laughs) So uh, it's been great. You know, I've learned to take underwater pictures and video, and it's just been a great uh, experience. And, you know, it, it kind of equates a bit to the business world, because I think another characteristic is okay, you're swimming with sharks sometimes in business and you need to be calm under pressure when you're diving and you're diving with sharks. And I think, you know, in business, in leadership roles in particular, you need to be really calm under pressure and calm the situation down and slow things down so that people can think before they act. And the diving training and the yoga training, actually, yoga is something I've, I've done for the last 25 years as well, consistently, that helps me stop to think before acting, especially in a a stressful situation. This is such a beautiful point, because I think of you as, you know, this may sound the wrong words, but mild mannered, but what you're really saying is, this makes sense now, you are very calm under pressure. And to your very point, that is such an important leadership characteristic or, or practice. Yeah, absolutely. Yay. Okay, just have to ask. So I'm curious, when you are diving and you see sharks or you're purposefully near sharks, on a scale of one to 10, how dangerous is that? There's sharks that are completely passive and harmless, like a whale shark that filter on plankton. And so there's zero danger through to... I've never dove with a great white shark or actually a tiger shark. I've seen a tiger shark in the distance. So the risk is higher. But even with those sharks, they're interested in sea lions, not scuba divers. And so there's many stories of people (laughs) diving with great white sharks and it's not an issue. So it's a calculated risk. But as long as you keep your eyes on them and, (laughs) you know, don't exhibit stress, then they tend not to be as interested. You're not an injured fish, (laughs) so they're not interested. Ah, okay. I'll keep keep that in mind, but I'm pretty sure I won't be scuba diving with sharks. Mark, how about, you have shared so many insights already, but is there another piece of career advice, something that might have stayed with you throughout your whole career that you'd share with us? Well, we've spoken about it a few times, but it's taking that tough assignment, right? You know, one of my mentors, as he was doing a career talk, 
that I was listening in on gave me as an example of someone who takes that tough assignment, whether it's that first big job or a relocation to Asia, stepping into a turnaround situation, taking that tough assignment and learning from it. And a different mentor used to always say that a diamond is a product of intense pressure. So take the assignment, put yourself under some pressure, but not overstretch, and then beauty can come from that in the form of a diamond. So that's always struck me. I love that. Mark, thank you so much. I have learned so much from your own personal journey and the fact that you shared so openly with us. And then you shared so many tips and insights. I love the four C's, but all of your stories really brought everything to life. Thank you so much. Great. Thanks, Mary. It was great to self-reflect and, you know, frame this out in my own mind. So thanks for the opportunity. For more resources on this topic, visit us on modern-career.com and on social media at modern underscore career. We'll include all the sources noted in this episode in our show notes. Look forward to talking again very soon. Music